Uh, I think it's more on the focus on the family side of things. It says uh, whether you're public school, private school, or homeschool, we want to empower you on bring your Bible to school day. And I'm like, all right, now, so that's probably the difference. Where, so 800,000, 8, students. Yeah, to, <laughs> to 800,000 participants is like, how many Christian schools rallied behind bring your Bible to school day? And then when you count all the homeschoolers, it's like, that's a lot. I'm Of course this the number is This increased. is like, this is like Donald Trump pretending to read his bank statement like in a hat, like uh, Joseph Smith style. <laughs> billions and billions. Everybody, we are back with another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And I had to peel myself away from John Wick 3 to come and do this recording. I uh, I'm a little John Wick 3? Yeah, I'm behind, man. I I so actually what's crazy is I watched the first John Wick last the summer before last when I was on my way out to visit you. It was I watched it on the plane. And um I loved it like most people did. And I was like, I don't watch movies at all. I never watch movies. Watching movies is just not, I never drift towards them. I, I'll watch four hours of TV um, and binge a series. But then I'm like, oh, I don't really know if I want to start a movie. Uh, and some of that's because I like the ongoing story. I'm like, well, I watch a movie and I have to get into it. Like it takes me like an episode or two to get into a show. And then I, and then you really want to get through it. But I'm like, so with movies, it's like I have to, I have to make the effort to get into it, and then when it's over, that's just it. I'm done, uh, and it feels kind of like, well, now what do I do? But it, John Wick felt a little different because I knew, I knew when I started it that there were more, and that they just kind of like progressed the same story. Um, so I was like, all right. I, I, I started, I, I loved John Wick one when I watched on the plane. It wasn't too long after I got back from visiting you last year that I started John Wick two and I got like 30, 15, 20 minutes into it, probably fell asleep. Um, and then never revisited it until just like last night I've watched two and then started three. And then I was watching three before I came down to record and, uh, God damn it. Those movies are, so fucking fun. Uh, I I texted my uh, my brother while I was watching it, and uh, I was like, it was right after. How did he kill? So, oh, it was like this cool. A lot of video game type kills, you know. It was like he had he had this his. I don't even know what gun he was having because I don't know anything about guns, but it was like staccato he has the barrel pushed into someone's chest they're pinned up against the wall but he runs out of ammo so like while he has this dude just like pinned against a wall he reloads it and then um after he reloads he just pulls the trigger and blows out his chest really fucking cool and that was what made me think like oh i texted my brother i was like dude the writer's room for these movies must be the funnest fucking place on earth to be because all you do is sit around for weeks on end dreaming up different ways to kill people <laughs> it's like when you and your buddies used to have like slow motion karate fights in the pool 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the writer's room is just a big jacuzzi. And the whole time they're just like, it's just 30 people in a room going, doosh, 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 doosh. Yeah, doing bullet time in the pool, running on the side of the wall. Oh, <laughs> yeah. we all did that shit. And it's, but it's like, all right, okay. So like, you just look around the room. You're like, John Wick walks into a room. What does he do? You see a stapler. You're like, all right. And all you do is for an hour talk about 100 different ways you could kill someone with a stapler. And in any place other than a writer's room for John Wick, it would be like, you would end up on an FBI watch list for those conversations. Dude, what if he did like a scorpion Mortal Kombat type thing where he like grabs the swing line, shoves it up the guy's butthole, and then staples his forehead to the <laughs> wall from inside? <laughs> I'd watch that movie. I would. Yeah, I'm here for that. That would be amazing. Uh, there's-, there's a there's like a place where all the celebrities and stuff go to do all that like tactical training and everything called Terran tactical. It's T A R A N tactical. That's where Um, they like, is it like a train where they learn to do it for movies? Is that? Yeah. And I mean, for real, like it's just for fun. It's pretty legitimate. Like there's like all sorts of competitions and stuff that people do with those on those courses where you have to like, you run to a station, you shoot five rounds into five different targets. Oh, yeah. You sidestep to one, reload on the way and stuff. And the Terran tactical guy is a big fat douchebag. Yeah, shocking. And he looks really I, annoying. I bet he has and, a great relationship with his children. <laughs> and he has like he has like a whole like uh, array of like... Um, Harley Davidson calendar girls in his employ. And so it'll be like, they'll post a video and it's like, Oh, here's Michael Keaton, you know, doing the, uh, the three gun course. And he's standing next to like this bizarre looking, you know, East Russian chick in like a black widow costume. Who's also like got a pistol on her shoulder or whatever. It's very strange, but it's very fun to watch <laughs> celebrities like all these different comedians have gone to it. And I don't know. Oh, there's about yeah. any any celebrity you can think of. There's videos on there of them like going through this course, shooting fast. And Keanu Reeves is super good at it. He's oh, shit. I, that incredible. At it. Dude, Keanu Reeves. I was just talking to my buddy Jesse about this um, the other weekend. It was when we were on our way to the A. Miller show. But I was like stuff just pops up about him. Like he's out of the limelight. He really lives a low key life. And there's all this shit that comes out about him. Talk about how fucking awesome he is. Like how much money he gives to things that matter to him. Like the, the long breaks he took from acting to take care of people in his family. Like even the way he like every, the movies he does, he thinks it's unfair how much money like, a like celebrities make versus the people who make the movies. And he just pays out everybody else from his salary on like all the movies he does. Oh, you did costume and wardrobe here. Here's a giant ass bonus from his pay. Just because it's like, there is no movie without these people. Like the stunt doubles. He always like gives a giant bonus to his stunt doubles because it's like, there is no, there is no Keanu Reeves movie without his stunt doubles. And he like really recognizes the effort and work that goes into these and pays, tries to like equalize his pay. Uh, 
in you some way. You gotta keep those uh, stunt coordinators happy, or else they start making YouTube videos about how you drink child's blood and worship Satan. Yeah, that that could happen, or you know, you end up with the, um, you know, ended up with live rounds in your uh, instead of blanks. Jeez. <laughs> 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 yeah those movies are pretty fun though i haven't seen uh i haven't seen three i don't think i have a hard time with action movies nowadays i don't know i i just I can't get into them because like i feel like this is uh these movies are like like breathe the life into like your dad's kind of action movies like the old arnold and sylvester action movies that are like you know the plot like if you watch the first five minutes in the last five minutes there's no surprises to the plot you're just like yeah no this is exactly where i expected the movie to go but they still they they the level of entertainment that they pull into it and i think that john wick creates like a fun world where there's like there's real life and then there's like the underground assassin crime world and they kind of like coexist and ignore each other to some degree and as long as like their violence doesn't bleed into civilian life. Everyone just kind of goes about their day. And there's like kind of like a, the, un, the, 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 they have their own rules and their codes and all that kind of shit. And it kind of like pulls the story together. And what I really liked is that literally three picks up exactly from the moment that two leaves off. So it has that TV, it has that series vibe to it too, where you're like, hmm. I think that's what's helped me get into it versus start just random movies where you're like oh i'm literally like i finished this hour and a half or two hours and now i can now i'm starting it exactly where it left off so you just kind of like pick up and uh and keep going with it it's been fun uh and i think they'd really did like i i feel like they revitalized like that dad's action concept and and made that relevant and interesting to people our age and younger because that kind of died. I feel like the last thing that did that, it, but more in like an ironic hokey way was the expendables, you know? Yeah. Or it was the like, first let's one take, of those was pretty fun. Yeah. It was like, let's take all your dad's action stars and throw them into a movie and make it campy as fuck. And you just knew what you were getting into and it was entertaining for what it was. And you knew what it was supposed to be. And I didn't see, I think I might've watched the second one and then I, I never followed that afterwards. Uh, I don't think it's as good uh, as like, as John Wick, but I feel like that series of movies did well what it intended to do as far as like bringing back this like useless, meaningless action movie. Yeah. It's good until Mickey Rourke's on stage. Yeah, Mickey, Mickey Rourke, Rourke looked like a, a pug with his head out the window. <laughs> he literally looks like he's got one of those, you know, those like anti-theft strap devices, you know, that's around electronics at the at Walmart. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he looked like he had one of those installed on the back of his scalp. And once in a while, like his wife or whatever, just he lays down, she puts his her foot on the back of his neck and she just cranks that thing two more notches like it's one of those uh, pallet spreaders that you had when you were a kid with braces. Yeah. Or like, you know, when you wear back, it's like when you wear like a ring or something like how you're, you know, when it's, 
you can grow your body grows and it just kind of grows around it. It's like someone put a nylon stocking over his head and his head just like grew outside of it and around it. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a fence that's too close to a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh the first dude, I didn't know who Mickey Rourke was until I saw the first Iron Man when I was in college and I was like, who is this guy? And why am I watching him in a movie? And he How would long ne- was he in a tanning booth for? <laughs> <laughs> he would never not be a villain. You don't you don't have a face like that and not be a villain in a movie. Um, What's weird is like watching one of his old movies. Like we watched one not I don't know a few years ago called Angel Heart, and it was like him in the eighties or something. And it's he looks like a totally different person. Really, it does Did- not look like the same guy. Was he? Is his thing a like botched plastic surgery or was it real surgery and we're assholes? I I always heard it was like plastic I mean, surgery that went wrong, but it's definitely plastic surgery. I'm not sure if it was botched, but I'm sure he didn't walk in with a picture of that no. and say, "Do this on me." <laughs> his face looks like when someone goes in and gets like a bad tattoo of someone's face. <laughs> Give me the I'm surprised I didn't get an Academy Award face. <laughs> It's like when someone wants a picture of like, this is my grandfather. Can you tattoo it on my chest? It's like, (laughs) yikes. I love those reveal videos where it's like got the foam all over it. And then they, they wipe it away. The pictures right next to the picture of the person's babies, like right next to him. And then it's just, you just get like one single frame of Gollum at a time. it's so bad dude one thing on those reveals though uh i'll never not be disappointed when i see any variation of uh as they wipe the foam away and you just any variation of bobby hill in a tattoo just rips every time yeah i've seen a few of those around i saw a millhouse tattoo the other day Mm. yeah simpsons characters are i feel like getting a simpson character is like our generation's version of a tweety bird it's it's the on the ankle. It's the new finger mustache. Oh god, dude. That was <laughs> The finger mustache is like having the uh like the raccoon tail bang permanently installed. The raccoon tail bang. Yeah, I remember scene girls used to get that like coon oh, tail yeah, yeah. where it was it like, like striped. Stripe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, that was I feel like uh 90% of finger mustache tattoos were on scene girls yeah that's true it's not a good comparison it was ironic oh look at they dude that was a bad time in hello governor yeah <laughs> so funny i love a joke you can tell forever <laughs> and that everyone else is doing like i feel like the first okay whoever did the first finger mustache tattoo honestly probably killed it that Whoever did that, all right, that probably worked. I bet that got a lot of laughs, um, and you deserved it. You were, you know, an originator. Who knew that that would have caught on like fucking wildfire with like the Rawzilla people? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know how it did that. It seems like that must have been like a. Uh, I don't know if that was Pinterest era or more of a Tumblr era thing. Like post MySpace, but like pre, I don't know. 
Definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Well, oh, dude. Okay. So while we're on the topic of, uh, of shows and movies, uh, talk about the, uh, the documentary that, that you recommended me the oh. uh, telemarketers. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't that. know if you've talked a whole lot about the, uh, your time working at this place. No. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I did want to talk about this and okay, here I'm a little bit bummed out because, um, I was working on get, so there's this documentary on HBO or max as it's now supposed to be called, um, called telemarketers. And it's about a company called civic development group, uh, which was, they kind of like set the stage for what like telemarketing was, would become, um, in the way that they scripted things in the way that they solicited money. It was, they, they had a very unique way of doing things, uh, and a very lucrative way of doing things. Um, they ended up like, it, I remember the story of them getting shut down because, uh, it stuck out to me because I had worked for them. So when I was in, when I lived in Lynchburg, when we were in Virginia, I worked for civic development group CDG and it was a, uh, it was the worst job I've ever had in my entire life. Um, I, it's hard. I always had a hard time articulating like how bad it was and what it was like there and how insane everything was until I, until this documentary telemarketers came out. Uh, Jesse, uh, who I have, <laughs> my friend Jesse, he worked there with me only for a, I think it was only several weeks before he like said, fuck this shit and quit. Um, <laughs> but it, it, that the memories that you have for a short period of time working there are enough to last a lifetime. So I worked there for several months, uh, four or five, maybe six months. Um, I was, I had lost my work study job because I had just, withdrawn from college uh i was at liberty i withdrew um for the purpose of like i took a semester off to like my goal was to work i was getting married like over the summer there was just a lot going on i'm like i need to try on levan satanism for a couple of months (laughs) so i took the semester off and um while i was trying to figure out what to do next uh and i had lost my work study job i was um selling blood plasma um pretty good pay no shame in that we all did it yeah we all did it uh and that's how (laughs) i made rent in for a minute and um while i was sitting there one day this kid comes up to me and he's like he hands he holds out this card and is like hey i'm guessing you're here because you know you need money and you don't have enough of it because why else would you be here? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I'm here. He goes, go here if you want. If you need a job really bad, you can you can go here and they will hire you on the spot. And I was like, I can tell by your dreads that you're a well-spoken, yeah. <laughs> socialized person. Oh, that might have been that might have been pre-dreads, but I must have looked shitty enough where he knew I would have <laughs> needed a job with the crowd that worked there. You so, were one of those people with the brown plasma. 
Yeah. He saw your bag and he's like, this is my caliber of individual. Dude, everyone had different color plasma. That's pretty funny. Uh, it was also gross to watch that shit fill up in a bag. It was like, it looked like Super gross. in a colostomy bag or some shit. Um, it was fun basically giving yourself the flu for two days a week. Yeah, dude, I always felt shitty every time I went there. And it just was gross there. And it's there like were times literally where, like, draining the life force out of your body for $70 a week. There were times where they would um, like just fuck up with the needle and just not even get it in your vein and shit and your blood oh, shit yeah. out. Yeah, you watch you if you went if you did blood plasma like sold plasma for more than a few weeks, you watched people's blood shoot across the room. You still checking? You're checking for the track marks still? Yeah, I don't think I have mine, but April still has hers. Yeah, and there is nothing worse also, than um, like getting lightheaded and feeling like you were going to pass out in that like skin flute colored barber chair. Yeah. Next to a bunch of crackheads uh, <laughs> trying to con their way into a, uh, a juice box. What's so funny is they go, <laughs> they go, uh, have you gotten a tattoo in the last 16 months? And if you're like, yeah, they're like, you can't, you can't be here. And they're like, uh, when was the last time you did crack? You're like, I've never done crack. And they're like, all right, you can sit down. And it's like, they have like a whole bunch of white powder under their nose. And they're just like, you're good. Uh, as long as you just lied to us and then you <laughs> we can take your plasma. Uh, it have also, you got a tattoo in the last six months? It's like, no, I was born with this Celtic cross. <laughs> <laughs> But they would also, uh, it was a wider needle too than like when you give blood, it's a pretty thin needle, but plasma is wider because they take out your blood and then they put it back in your body after they like, it, it goes like a dialysis machine and it um, like pulls out the plasma and puts the blood back in your body. And you do feel like an aching while, well, at least I always did. My wife does it. Uh, she, they opened a place right near like 20 minutes from us and it was on her way home from work. So she was like, she did it for Taylor Swift tickets. <laughs> and it was, that's why she's like, I'm going to do this and save all my money for Taylor Swift tickets. So whatever. Couldn't you uh, have just like not drank beer for two weeks and bought those? You know, instead you're like, go take three years Swift, off your no. lifespan. I didn't go to Taylor Swift though. <laughs> if I, if I was going to go to Taylor Swift, I could have not drank for, you know, four weeks and probably been fine. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, and she loved she. I shouldn't say loved it, but like she doesn't care. She was like, yeah, you know, you go and you sit there, and it's an hour and a half of complete silence where no one bothers me, and she doesn't feel any discomfort doing it at all. So I would I probably know. value that more myself. Yeah. Now. Yeah, the silent part of it sounds pretty sick. Anyway, uh, all this to say. That guy is like, you know, you obviously no one wants to do this. You do it because you're poor. Um, the plasma you clinic is Swift the monster.com of telemarketers. Yeah. So he no, goes, was. this will be the worst job you ever had, but they will hire you on the spot. Uh, and then when you don't want to work there anymore, you just stop showing up. Um, so I went and they, they did. They hired me on the spot. And this, so what you see in the documentary, everyone should watch it. Um, uh, is uh, you see in the documentary that this company hired a lot of ex-cons, mostly ex-cons or people with like drug problems and shit like that. And they would have like numbers you had to hit. 
and you would read a script. It would be like, hey, uh, so-and-so calling on behalf of the something-something-something. Uh, you would talk about like going for the gold and donating 50, or would you rather play it safe and work with the silver? And then like, it was just these wild scripts that you had to read verbatim. Otherwise you could get fired. And they were, it was a, I mean, the company was bogus. They, it was 10% or less went to the organizations they raised money for and the rest just like funded their industry. And we, um, I, there was a, I've just felt really guilty working there. I felt like you're working for something like you just, you knew what you were doing was fucked up. So, uh, so basically to summarize the, the business model here. And I, again, you should watch the documentary. It's very interesting and it has some really uh, great characters that are a part of it, but Pat the, J. The basic, is baby. Yeah. He's so guy great. Fucking rules. <laughs> to summarize like how it worked was like okay let's say it was a lot of like uh police organizations firefighters things like that um you know social services and stuff and they would basically think about it this way if you're let's say you're the uh the dodge city kansas fraternal order of police and they did a lot of fraternal orders of police Tons of them. That's what a lot of the documentary is about, right? And like you're you're trying to figure out fundraising for this year, so you could have your guys go stand like nine eleven, like nine twelve style with a with a fireman's boot at the corner, and ask for loose change from passersby, and you might raise some money, right? Maybe you raise, you know, maybe you do great, and all of your efforts over the year equal out to 50 or $60,000. That's a lot of man hours though. It's a lot of asking for money directly from people around you and stuff like that. What, what civic development group would do is they would go to these people and say, basically like, let us take over your fundraising. Um, it won't cost you a dime, but basically what you're going to agree to is however much we raise, you get 10% of it. And you just have this team of bloodthirsty cutthroats calling old people in your, you know, general area asking for money 24 seven and maybe they raise a million dollars, right? Right. A hundred thousand dollars is still, I mean, it's still a hundred thousand dollars that you didn't have to spend any man hours on or anything free money for them. And so these guys, I mean, they were just making money hand over fist and they, they basically like franchised this idea and opened these satellite offices all over the U S right. And over the years, like it sounded like lobbying became a part of what they were doing and they kind of got changes pushed through to how they had to discuss fundraising and stuff. They no longer had to disclose that they weren't actual police officers. They were like, you know, uh, and that was by state though. There's like certain things that rules that were state by state. And then there was like, as federal laws changed, but civic development group did end up getting shut down because of their federal law violations. Um, they just got to a point where they didn't care. Uh, but what they would do is they hired a lot of ex cons or mostly ex cons or addicts because they would be like, these are your numbers. You have to hit them. And they would let anything go on in these offices, dude. Like, what I like, I felt like I, 
I stopped talking a little bit about like what it would. I, I kind of just forgot. You're like, no one believes that things were this wild when I worked there. So like, who am I going to like? I mean, I had people there who had I mean, a lot of ex-cons, but they were like. I, I worked with a dude who would just brag about his murders and his attempted murders and how he would try how he like tried to kill this kid because he didn't like him and uh, he didn't die when he pushed him in front of a bus like they would it it wasn't just talk like these people they were this guy was a real like gangbanger he would also try to sell his mixtapes at work and he would also sell porn out of his trunk and he would like bring it into the office and like be like i got smart i got the new spider-man i got these dvds he's like you're on the phone trying to make like these cold calls and he's like trying to sell you like bootlegged porn and shit and uh then people would go out on their lunch break and just like smoke crack or in the bushes it's like they're it's basically if you were doing door-to-door sales in an opium den and your co-workers were like bam margera and gary Busey. <laughs> yeah. that's it. it's that and it's, it's like it's thunderdome telemarketing <laughs> and people are just yelling and talking the whole time it's like it's the bathrooms were disgusting like i've joked about the bathrooms and like all like how there was like, there, I mean, there'd be broken toilets. There was boogers all over the wall. They hadn't been cleaned. It looked like it was in an abandoned nice. building. Like it was, I, I, the, the few, the four or five months that I worked there, I was sick for three of them probably. Cause you just put these like disgusting ass headsets on. Um, and it's like that. No one ever cleans. The buildings never cleaned. They don't have a cleaning crew. And, uh, it was just, it was a vile place to work. And every day I would just show up and be like, what, this can't be real. Like this can't be going on. This has to just be specific to where I work. And then I, as I watched this documentary, it like blew my mind because this was their business model. They hired people like this because they would say it was a lot of people on parole and shit. So they're like, oh, if you don't hit, if, oh, you don't hit your numbers, then you're fired. And if we fire you, we're going to call your parole officer and tell him you were fired and you lost your employment or oh you do drugs on your lunch break well if you don't hit your numbers we're going to call your parole officer uh and we're going to tell him you're doing drugs on your lunch break like and they would a just lot of like these guys weren't even on, these people they were they were trying to hit these numbers and they weren't even on commission they were basically no, just there's no commission they're there. just hourly so it's there's no like positive incentive even to uh rip people off the incentive was not having them contact your parole officer or go to jail for substance abuse on the workplace at the work. Yeah. While you're working, <laughs> it's like the place was gnarly. Uh, it is, it, it was, is such an American story. Yeah, it really is. It really, um, it's, it's just like, it's, it's such a, a quintessential American con. It's amazing. Yeah. It's truly incredible what they got away with. Um, and one of the greatest parts about it is uh, the dude's, who started the company had a Christian rock band. <laughs> so good. You ever telemarketers, HBO max, whatever. It's uh, it's an incredible, I, I have a, a personal connection to it. Like watching it was the most validating experience for me being like, Holy shit. Like this was like when you watch the, cause so the guy who made it, Sam, ba- uh, no, I almost said Sam, Sam Bankman Fried. Yeah. Sam, <laughs> It's Sam Littman Stern is the guy who made it. Um, he he worked there. He was like this fuck off that dropped out of high school and got a job there, but ended up like 
was like he had the same idea that everyone else did was that this place is actually fucking insane and what he did was he ended up recording hundreds of hours of work footage just to be like just for his own sake because it was so wild but that turned into trying to like expose the company for being as shitty as it was uh but the first episode especially has a lot of footage of what it was like to work there and i was like this is the most validated experience i've validating experience i've had uh reliving my past because i just thought that maybe i even exaggerated what it was like for me there or like played it up a bit and then you watch this footage and you go holy shit this is exactly where i worked this is what i these are the kinds of people i worked with this is the kinds of shenanigans that went on on work what was on, that- on the clock were there some like pranks and stuff that happened while you were there that you remember? I honestly don't recall any pranks. Um, I just remember a lot. I just remember a lot of substance abuse and talk of illegal activity and uh, and very colorful characters. I mean, you're That's you're going to be dealing with colorful characters when you're working with you know full blown addicts and and criminals. You know. Um, I I just felt like I needed to keep my head down. Like I didn't feel like I belong. I was like I don't. I I stick out here like a sore thumb. Uh, I don't. Not, I'm the only person here who's like young and in college. Everyone else is like a criminal and an addict, and it's like you're just like uh, they're gonna think you just felt weird being in an environment like not even like in a judgmental sense. At that point I was at Liberty university, you know, of course I was in a more judgmental frame of mind, but it was like, there's a kind of this fear that you're going to be the one that's found out as a goody two shoes. You know, you're like, I don't want anyone to know who I am. Like I want to, I'd rather blend in. Like I'd rather find a way to fit in or not stand out uh, as best I can. But the, the management there was just, so funny we had this our manager one of the managers was this guy named mike little he was like this big dorky man uh kind of a drew carey look you know and he he drove a uh of scooter to work like one of those electric moped scooter things um and he it looked very small on his very large body uh and he (laughs) had his like cool ass motorcycle helmet that he would wear uh, while he rode his scooter. And it, one of the things that was funny to me based on the document, what they talked about in the documentary and, and the, in that I connected to this guy was when you would raise money for cops or the, the FOP, the fraternal order of police, it was like, make sure you use your best cop voice. Hey, her, uh, be real stern. Blah, blah, blah. And that, <laughs> yeah. That's what this guy did. He would, when you weren't making your, when I wasn't making my sales, when I wasn't making my like, uh, I, or I wasn't running through the script right, like these guys, he would come up and be like, "Let me show you how it's done." Hello, Mike Little, Mike Little here on behalf of, and then he would he would just go in like full cop voice and. Hello, is this Mrs. Smith? Sink Mrs. Sale. Smith, this is John Jefferson from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police in Baltimore. Yeah, it, how are you doing today? It was oh, cool. that's good to hear. It was you cool. Be real. And- when you ran scripts for the FOP and shit or like some cop teddy bear drive or some shit, it was funny because you would get, you would call people and 
you would state why you were calling and they'd be like, I don't talk to no police. And they'd just like hang up the phone on you and shit. Like, yeah, I, I get it. I wouldn't either. Um, and then there was one, the documentary talks about this one that was a, uh, on a veteran, they ran a veterans fund script and, uh, they're like, yeah, there's this one place in Virginia that ran this script. Uh, and that was the place I worked and it was a fraudulent company that they were raising money for. It wasn't a real veterans fund, anything. It was just like a full blown fraud ass company. The documentary is incredible. And, you have yeah. to give it to him. It's, no, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's the three. I think it's the three part. It's three part, not four. Uh, I believe you, everyone should watch it. It was just way too much fun i know i'm biased because i worked there and it felt so cool to watch a documentary about a company that you work for but everyone should check it out um yeah very good there was um so oh i'm sorry go ahead no i was gonna say we could take a couple of different shifts here man well kind of choose your own adventure i have a couple of uh silly little articles that i think would be funny to uh spend the next half hour uh riffing on uh you know we both recently uh experienced sleep token but that might be kind of niche i don't know that everyone is uh interested in our experience with uh going to a sleep token show but that was a center point uh a highlight of our years for sure yeah well real quick um it was interesting i kind of went down a rabbit hole today uh, I can't remember exactly which location it was, what area, but um, I was reading today that another archdiocese for the Catholic Church filed for bankruptcy. Okay. And so I kind of went down a little rabbit hole looking at stuff about this. So if if you haven't seen news about this, basically like a ton of diocese within the Catholic Church in the US and some internationally have been declaring bankruptcy because they're just being hit by tidal waves of uh, sexual abuse suits, civil suits and things like that. How does that work? Um, How does bankruptcy work for these churches when like it's such a hierarchical thing that it all goes back to like to the Vatican, doesn't it? Doesn't all the money at some level make its way back to the Vatican? It's not. It, it's not treated like um. They're all well, treated as individual organizations, even though there's a hierarchy to it. Yeah, there's so each each of these dioceses and parishes and stuff like that is kind of its own little entity. Um, you know, the parishes are like the the small subsectors of a diocese. So it seems like it's hitting the diocese level with these uh, lawsuits, at least here in the U.S. And um, basically, they're all kind of like little subdivisions of the Catholic Church. And because of that little, you know, fake separation between them, it allows (laughs) them to kind of cordon off the threat of you know, broader lawsuits and on top of like bankruptcy, which they're they're basically like they're getting hit with all these suits and then they're declaring bankruptcy so that they can negotiate down the amount of payout that they're making to victims and their families. 
So they can they can get hit and be charged with this and that, you know, and and uh, ordered to pay however many millions of dollars to this victim or that victim. But then by declaring bankruptcy, it gives them a a point at which they can negotiate downward. Um, okay. But as in addition to that, they're basically they're proactively, especially in the areas where they think there's a lot of allegations coming or a lot of suits coming or whatever, they're moving a lot of their assets at the like parish and diocese level into their you know, assets. Are you talking about companies. altar boys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they kept those two closed. That's the problem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like property, cash, I mean, any sort of like holdings and stuff that they have, they're moving into these like, um, subsidiaries and holding companies and stuff to cordon them off and keep, uh, you know, keep the, basically when they file bankruptcy, they have to, you know, throw on the table everything that's under their name and it makes their assets shrink significantly. Yeah. And so they're taking a move out of corporate America's playbook and just like spreading it all around a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, so I I was uh there was a great video that um I can't I think it was Bloomberg did. If you if you just search like archdiocese bankruptcy, it'll come up, but where they talked about the problem and what how they're seeing it systematically across the US and they're like watching all of these different subsidiaries like transfer assets out before they get hit with litigation or while they're in the middle of it, but before they declare bankruptcy and it's just, it's the sleaziest, most disgusting thing ever. It's unbelievable. Like they did a calculation on one of them where they were showing like the projected assets that this like archdiocese and I think like Albuquerque had Mm -hmm. and they, they estimated it at like, I don't know. It was a, it was a hundred or a couple hundred million dollars worth of assets. And by moving all this stuff around and shifting it out of the, the archdiocese, they brought their like assets on paper down to like 59 million. And it was the difference between a victim being paid out like $340 million or $340,000 and like $64,000 is what they ended up having to pay the person. And I, I don't incredible. know. It's just, it's, it's so insane to watch that happen in like a, a religious organization. And one that's been so right. publicly shamed, like so it's all publicly. out in the open now. There's it's, nobody that doesn't know the, the, just like the, the, the mass amount of, of allegations that are against them and stuff. I mean, it's, it's vile. I, I, it's to the point where it's like, I don't know how you could really, I, I'm not saying nobody should. I'm just, it, it, it seems like it would be very hard to be any part of that organization. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I, it's, it's so tough because I, I feel like on some level people feel like, you know, their local Catholic church is, uh, it, there's an independent feel to it. Like it's just my local church. And it's like, it's hard right. to conceptualize how high up that structure goes. Um, and, but it really does. I mean, it, it, 
there's only like your local priest is uh probably like five or six uh clergy removed from the pope you know <laughs> it's not a it's it's pretty weird how close and not that they'll ever have any contact with them you know they have contact with someone who has contact with someone who has contact we we know that that's not what's happening but when they run into some shit they they run that up the totem pole and then that person runs that up and they and then they go oh okay let's maneuver and yeah it it, it is hard to think about how like especially when they they're look when it is that public and everyone knows what happened and everyone knows they're guilty and everyone knows that that's why they're being required to pay out victims to move money around to pay out victims as le- as little as you possibly can when you yeah, especially know when you own goddamn so well they're much yeah and you know goddamn well that they actually did it and that they've been convicted of that it's really fucking sick to think about how they're like well let's now yeah we know we did it but we're gonna move money around like we did priests and figure out how to get away with this like, well, this is the responsible thing to do is to minimize the impact because, you know, this money, we do a, we do a lot of good with this money. Yeah, we got to protect yeah. the causes that we have obligations to by minimizing the impact of this, you know. Right. And really, I mean, could a couple hundred thousand dollars unmolest a boy, you know? Yeah. It, the damage Go screw is yourself. Look, we understand that God doesn't want us to fuck little boys, but we also know that God wants us to be good stewards of our money. So what do you want us to do? You're pitting God's word against God's word. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's stewardship in the same way that boomers think of like the environment. It's like we're good <laughs> stewards of it. We squeeze every dollar out of it and then shoot it into space. Whatever so- brown sludge is left. Stewardship, uh, <laughs> dominion, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah, it's like a, it's like what a food processor is—a good steward of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, a crazy story. Of, uh, I was a good steward of pine nuts and basil when I uh, made pesto. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just don't give them your money, man. That's that's the I guess that's the only thing. Like, of course, you know, if your church is important to you and you have a community there and stuff like you can't begrudge people for being a part of that, you know, but like don't give that hulking behemoth with mounds of treasure stored all over the world. Don't give them your money. Just give it directly to somebody else, you know, some local organization or something. Yeah, I don't know. Dude, even insane. just uh, on a very independent out like uh, out level, I that was one of the things to go for me was like with the church that I was a part of. I mean, I'm I'm still a part. It's not we dis. I've mentioned before that we kind of like disincorporated it. It's not a legal entity anymore as a church, uh, but I still uh, participate with uh, the group of people who are left uh, from it. Um, most weeks, some weeks, half the weeks. I don't know. Um, but it's like, I, the, uh, the pastor is a good friend of mine. Um, 
it's weird to like I it's it's weird to refer to him as my pastor because I just feel like he's more like he's he's just my friend uh that also happens to like facilitate conversations that um uh, like the group the church that I go to but I'm like I that was that's a hard one for me I, like that was even on that level where I'm like look I I believe in this person as, and he's my friend and I like what he's doing. And I like what this church is doing. My, the church functioned kind of as a halfway house for a lot of people who were leaving evangelicalism. Most of the people who went to it, it was like what, what they found in what was a breath of fresh air for them before they could finally just be like, Oh, this isn't for me anymore. And that gave them like, a clean exit. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that that space was really necessary for people to find their way. Uh, so I was happy to be a part of it and I was happy to, to give money to it, but really over time, couldn't a Dunkin' Donuts serve the same purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but over time I was just like, Oh, it is so hard for me to keep doing that, to keep giving money to, to, to something like that. Like I just, I don't know. It, it It's hard to see for me the value in giving money to a church at all at this point in my life where it's like, even if you love it, even if you think the community is strong, like you're giving money and the majority of it's going to fund a, to fund a building, to keep the lights on, to do all this shit that should like, this it should all be free for you to get together with people that you, to that you think the same things about. Like, I don't know. It, and when you think of like, like you said, the behemoth that the Catholic church is, you're like, what is it doing? Like, I don't, I'm sure, I'm sure if you look at the books, there's like, yeah, there's, you know, they have the, their charities and stuff like that, but it's just, it feels like such a mangled mess of mismanagement at this point that you're like, it, it would just, just enveloped in scandals where you, where you go like, at some point, like you just have to like cut your losses and go like, there's no justification anymore. Like we, we're all on the same page that ends don't justify the means. So if you have to fuck 12 boys to give away free shirts and shoes to people who need it, like it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. They're going to have to resort to alternative fundraising. Maybe uh, like a CDG type situation, yeah. you know, civic development hello is this sam for catholic charities (laughs) sam sam this is this is casey grasseth calling on behalf of the fraternal order of horny priests how are you doing today (laughs) oh god hell yeah how would you like to uh how would you like to subscribe to the you know give give generously to the uh cream uh level to cream cream. what's what's cream i feel like cream would be an acronym uh, not coming up with that now, but we could make a good acronym. I'm surprised evangelical churches haven't made cream an acronym. They've already done it with so many worse things. Yeah, I it's I'm sure they got one somewhere. <laughs> they did clit. Clit's one. What is that? That was um Ooh boy. I was actually uh our buddy Christ lives in me. Christ lives in that's Clem. Uh it was uh no, the, it was just it's even biblical. Christ living in teens. Which is also <laughs> a terrible slogan outside of the acronym. 
Oh man, now I'm trying to think of a bunch of them. This we, I can't I was, be a freestyler. I can't Harry Mackis. No, no. I was messaging. I forgot about that one. I've seen that one around. Like I get that one gets passed around Instagram and shit. But I was just messaging with our buddy Mark, uh, who's in the Discord, and uh, you all should be too. Uh, and we were talking about that. So that's why I was pushing my mind. Pud. Like pastors under discipleship. Yeah, that works. Dude, you can. I mean, eh, you can do anything. It's a. Uh, sky's the limit with uh, acronyms, man. Yeah. All right. Do we want to uh, do we want to hit a one more thing before we close this out? Yes, let's do it. All right. So at first I was uh, trying to think, look for some goofy, fun shit to to fuck around with. But uh, so sometimes my go to is like, well, let's see what the gospel coalition is up to, because the gospel coalition sucks. Everything they say, everything they do. And they held this whole thing like, what if I sin against chat GPT? Is it a sin to get angry at AI? And it's like, they're just... No, really? Yeah, yeah. It's real bad. It's real boring. It's like, it's it's hard to believe that adult men are having conversations about whether or not it's okay to like lose their temper with AI, especially when they were just like real horny with it like 30 seconds before. Um, <laughs> but so then there, I was like going through gospel coalitions like headlines to see like, well, I don't want to hit on the AI one because that's, that's been circulating a a good bit. And then it was like, I saw one that was like the secret to loving your wife better love Jesus better. And I was like, that is the gayest shit a Christian has ever said. You want to (laughs) love your wife more, love a man even more than your wife. It's super gay and that's fine. Uh, but it's not for them. And the irony of it is hilarious. But then as I was perusing, I came across this thing that's, uh, it's spearheaded by focus on the family. Uh, so I ended up looking it up on their website, but Christian headlines is some like, uh, I don't know. What's like a shit. It's like a Yahoo news for Christian shit. It's just, Oh, perfect. No one knows what this is, but it's celebrities rally in support of bring your Bible to school day. (laughs) Do they? Oh boy. What kind of A-list celebrities are we talking? Oh, I drove past the, uh, the focus on the family headquarters last week. Oh, really? You should have gone to see where they, uh, where they still record, uh, the uh, shit what's Sad their radio program yeah adventures in odyssey um all right so i mean it's pretty clear what bring your bible to school day is um but god damn dude it says according to cbn i don't even know what cbn is um was that a new christian broadcasting thing? network oh yeah, yeah yeah probably um the annual event has grown from just eight thousand students to more than 800,000 participants in 2022. And I like the delineation immediately in the first sentence between 8,000 students to more than 800,000 participants. Which means that like... They're fudging the numbers already. They got a bunch of schools to agree to allow it. Like as an official... They they got a bunch of schools to like officially put it on the academic calendar. It's like, oh, by the way, it's bring your Bible to school day. Right. Well, they they counted every kid um, in the school as a participant. uh, I think it's more on the focus on the family side of things. It says uh, whether you're 
public school, private school, or homeschool, we want to empower you on bring your Bible to school day. And I'm like, all right, now, so that's probably the difference. Where, so 800,000, 8, students. Yeah, to, <laughs> to 800,000 participants is like, how many Christian schools rallied behind bring your Bible to school day? And then when you count all the homeschoolers, it's like, that's a lot. I'm, of course, this the number is increased. like this is like Donald Trump pretending to read his bank statement like in a yeah. hat, like uh, Joseph Smith style. <laughs> <laughs> billions and billions. Well, I don't know who Collins is, but that's the guy. Emerson Collins, program manager for Bring Your Bible to School Day, uh, told he said, uh, our culture is searching and hurting for truth and perhaps now more than ever. The unchanging truth of scripture and the healing power of the gospel are exactly what we need. Bring your Bible to school day. Uh, kicks off a larger initiative for families to become more engaged with their faith. It's so, this is so dumb. Yeah. Our, the culture is yearning for truth and our movement, which is at the weakest point it's been in 150 years is the yeah. answer. Probably. All right. There's a well, groundswell of support amongst homeschoolers. <laughs> so even though the headline says many celebrities rally around it, well, you, you dig into the article a bit and it says many Christian celebrities have joined focus on the family to promote Bring your Bible to school day, including I, I'm going to give you, you get it. Just guess, Ooh, dude, just bu old Buck Williams himself. Oh, uh, Buck Williams. Uh, what's his face? Um, the one the the, the main one fireproof and uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. saving Christmas and all that. There's a few. Okay. Think of like the ones who have, um, think of the ones who have like made a name for themselves just being, shitty in christian culture uh but trying to be relevant and have had some like mainstream level of success oh hmm. we've shit on one of them a lot on this podcast what did like john voight voice his support for it and also use a racial slur in the same yeah. sentence <laughs> wow dude you're blending names and concepts at this point john's and racial slurs uh, we're look, we're looking at skillet singer John Cooper and Duck Dynasty's Sadie Roberts and Huff. So <laughs> we have a John and we have someone who's definitely used a racial slur. <laughs> Duck Dynasty has a show about a bunch of bearded rednecks making making waterfowl whistles. Hasn't been on the air in in 15 years. Dude, he's a celebrity, though. And it's not even the main one. Who is it? Sadie something? Uh, Sadie Robertson Huff, uh, also singer Torin Wells. Do you know who that is? No, Torin. Torin, yeah. Uh, Torin oh, also, Wells. and and the rock band Newsboys. <laughs> the rock band. <laughs> <laughs> the it's rock so band. Dumb. Yeah, they, it's a, uh, it's a, it's pretty bad. Um. Hey, this is my, uh, I said, uh, he goes, <laughs> it was a Bible that changed my heart and my mind on Jesus. It's God's love letter to us. I'd love that. That name one more played out trope than it's God's love letter to us. It's not, it's clearly not. Have you read the fucking thing? It is not emphatically that, um, but <laughs> 
Colin said, uh, I began personally carrying my Bible with me, not even knowing about bring your Bible to school day towards the end of high school into college. I said, hey, this is my weapon and I'm going to unload it on the school like a real school shooter. And <laughs> Voicing his support was political commentator and superstar Greg Locke. <laughs> the the Bible is my weapon and the gospel are my bullets. He says, uh, <laughs> this is my weapon. I'm a soldier in battle and I would hate to be caught in the middle of a battle in the middle of this field of war without my weapon. Wait, and did, that was who, a personal conviction of mine. He continued. Who is this? The guy who's like the program manager for this shit ass holiday, whatever the fuck. Oh, man. What I came Could to there focus be a on worse family. analogy to use at this no, point than like bringing your weapon to school. Oh yeah, and this was literally uh, this was this uh, article was on October second of twenty twenty three. So yeah, the uh, the tone deafness runs deep in this man. He's like, I I even I got my highlighter out and I I you know I highlighted a few specific passages I thought were particularly relevant i call those my hollow points <laughs> john oh, dude, 316 so, uh, that's an anti-personnel mine if you ask me <laughs> this is relevant because uh bring your bible to school day is october 5th my friends uh and this episode will be out on october 3rd so you have two whole days to gear up and you, why are we stopping why are we stopping at bring your Bible to school, my friends? Uh, how about bring your Bible to work days? Bring your Bible to work, friends. Do it. See what happens. No one, no one will care. And that's the best part. You know what? People will go out of their way to actively not speak to you. It'll be the quietest day you've had ever. You know what? I might bring my Bible to work on October 5th just so nobody fucking talks to me. <laughs> dude watch watch like a whole line of first graders like come to your office and then see the big big dusty bible on the on like the coffee table and just turn around and leave so there's uh on focus on the family this is also how i think they might inflate their numbers uh focus on the family's website has uh you it says you can sign up as like i'm committing to do this so churches probably get people to do it you know there's like there's probably a mass push to get people to like sign up for it during youth groups and on Sundays. Um, so you can sign and that's where they'll get their numbers from. That's the only way they could know. How do you know who participated in it? They filled out their online form. Yeah. Um, it's like a whole bunch of annoying douchebag pastors like on Sunday being like church. I want to talk to you today about a very important event, a national campaign. Bring your Bible to school day. You know, this nation's hurt. Our our nation's children, they are looking for answers, and, and you can see it in their faces. They need the truth. So we are going to let our light shine, and we are going to do that by filling out an online form and surrendering your email address, and make sure that you click the box that says you agree to receive coupons and promotions <laughs> for Focus on the Family. That's to it, voice dude. your support. Let Satan know you're not going to take his nonsense sitting down. 
Dude, it's not even that they're going to ask you to check the box. They're like, and I'm legally obligated to ask to to let you know that uh, you can uncheck the box, but we request that you don't. Uh, the details. Uh, so uh, here we go. Where do you bring your Bible? <laughs> well, bring your Bible to whatever school looks like for you, whether your school is public, private, or at home. You can participate. So how many homeschoolers do the focus on the family is predominantly uh, funded and utilized by homeschool families. So I'm guessing a large portion of their signups are just from homeschool families. Uh, and that's I would how imagine they, so. That's how they fluff their numbers. Uh, why is bring your Bible to school day important? Well, as Christians, we're called to share the gospel with the world. Bring your Bible to school day provides you with an easy way to start that conversation with your friends and classmates. No. It actually is going to make that the hardest conversation of your life, but that's fine. Uh, the details I like. Um, oh, no, not the details. The details are just bring your Bible. Uh, write. You can write down and pass out your favorite. Verse. <laughs> can you imagine writing down and passing out your favorite verses to your friends? Oh, my God. Yeah. The Bible calls us to share our gospel with the world. And, and in your case, your world is a small, carefully curated group of uh, nerdy, involuntarily celibate into their 20s tweens. Uh, also toting Bibles and signing up on websites. How to share. It's helpful to remember what you know about the Bible before bring your Bible to school day. You can test your understanding of God's word with these fun quizzes and activities. Check them out and share them with your friends to get them interested in the Bible. And now it's uh download and print this year's free poster by click. I want to know. Um, this is CDG like word tracks. I want these quizzes, dude. I want these uh, quizzes. I'm sure you can still sign up. You could probably sign up for next year. I'm sure they're trying it to get says- a good like uh, post event bump for next year. It says check them out, but then it doesn't give you an option to to check them out. So that's a bummer. I would love I want to know these quizzes. And I like that they're like giving them to you. They're like, look, we know you're obviously a moron and you don't know anything about the Bible and the fate of someone's eternity rests in your 14 year old hands. But we'll just give you a few quizzes because we know 14 year olds are dumb. So we're going to just give you the best like gotcha questions. And then they'll be like, huh, I never thought of it that way because they're 14 and they don't think of anything anyway. Yeah, I would love to see what kind of uh, questions are on that quiz. It's like, what year did Lee Greenwood's uh, Proud to be an American debut on the charts? (laughs) And how many times does the pronoun Zer show up in the Old or New Testament? (laughs) Well, uh, a lot of... uh evangelicals these days don't believe that the Bible contains pronouns at all. So, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, you don't need them. The English language functions without them just fine, right? Yeah. What is there? Is there comments on this article? Like, is there a comment section? Oh, I I shifted over the focus on the family one. That's a good question. Let me scroll down. We're going down, down. I love reading comments on certain things. No, certain no, things, it's awful, no comments. But there's a, okay, so if some of you guys, if you remember 
the episode, the somewhat controversial episode we did with uh, lovely couple two for Christ. <laughs> that was unreasonably controversial for some. Yeah, for like two people who are super annoying. But uh, <laughs> two people that don't need to be in our audience. But uh, if uh, if you remember those two, uh, I want. OK, here's here's a little homework assignment assignment from uh, from old Kasem's. Go to Lift for Christ on YouTube. Need you to click follow on his channel because <laughs> you're going to want to catch all of his YouTube shorts. I love that They're we have like new 15 followers on our YouTube channel and you're uh, you're promoting with for Christ <laughs> like a cringe post page. You can uh, follow ours, too, if you want. But most importantly, follow Live for Christ, because uh, he's doing some good work over there. for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, actually, though, speaking of YouTube. Uh, so the past couple weeks. Casey's made various posts about how we <laughs> about how we're uh, we've posted our episodes to YouTube. And then immediately after he posted them, I realized I was wearing my work shirt uh, advertising the school that I work at as an adjustment counselor. So uh, he immediately had to take them down uh, because I that's a problem. Is Sam's worried that one of you fine people will. Uh call him out at his place of business as a backslidden baddie well there's the potential that someone could point out look it's it's not it's not that i can't do this and be an adjustment counselor but it's not helpful if a lot of people know it's not helpful for anyone if you work in a school you're not really supposed to like publicly put out where you work like that uh, it's it's best to hide the truth. That's a very uh, arch archdiocese of uh, Worcester sort yeah. of stance. Right, right, exactly. And for obvious reasons, I need to keep my uh, my work identity a secret. But uh, anyway, yeah. So for the past like two episodes, he's posted and then made like po- he's put them on YouTube and made posts about how we're up on YouTube now. And then I'm like. I texted him like, you have to take this shit down. <laughs> but today I am not wearing a work shirt. I am uh, or I'm wearing a shirt I wore to work, but it doesn't advertise the school that I work at. And I uh, that means this episode will likely end up on YouTube uh, so that we're moving in that direction finally, because we're trying to keep up with the rest of the podcast world. Uh, and who knows? Maybe. uh Maybe the algorithms won't fuck us to death and we'll get more than five views on YouTube. We do pretty good on the, uh, we do pretty good on the non-visual front in the podcastosphere, but YouTube is a, is a kind of a different animal. So if everyone who's listening, uh, could do the whole, it feels really fucking dumb to ask people to like and subscribe. That feels shitty as fuck. So but do it, I guess. More Christian content, smash that like yeah. button. Validate how bad I feel about having to just placate the algorithms like that. And uh, just follow, the, I don't care. Just watch like 30 seconds of each episode and give us at least a view, you know? Uh, I guess we're supposed to hashtag shit when we post it on YouTube. I don't know. I don't know how to do YouTube. 
neither of us know anything about that, so I guess we'll figure it out as we go. But you can see our dumb faces and our cool backgrounds and uh, Casey's old gun on his wall and uh, my shitty stickers. Uh, Lots of plants and Taylor Swift merch. Yeah, Casey's back. Casey's room looks great. Casey looks like a a real adult who has a room to record in. I um, <laughs> if I spun my camera at all, it would look like someone was probably chained up down here as well. So, I like your background. It looks. You got all more right. and more stuff going up. I do. I need to draw. I, I, I got to throw more stickers up. If you have stickers and you want to mail them to me, I should open a PO box. Maybe. Yeah. Me, send me your stickers. I'll send them, them to a school. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next week, uh, we have a fun episode. It was. <laughs> I got some editing to do on it because we got a little messed up by uh, our recording program, but. Um. We have returning champion and all-around great dude, uh, George Azar of My Gay Church Days. He, George is a great dude. We just, that we guy love fucking George. Rules. Um, two of our, we have like a handful of people that are just like our, like the people that we love that we've made friends with through the show. And uh, George is definitely one of those people. He's just a genuinely nice guy. Um, And just, you know, I don't know. Can't say anything highly enough about him. I mean, he's just a great dude. And he's getting ready to release an updated version of his book, My Gay Church Days, where he talks about his childhood upbringing, you know, coming to... uh, how it how he transitioned into church he became pastor at one point and then eventually you know he came came face to face with his sexuality and it involved like a whole shift away from all of that and i don't know he's just a he's just an interesting guy with a big heart and i don't know we had a fun time talking with him talked a little bit about stuff like um you know after 911 his his family is you know mediterranean middle eastern descent and you know we talked a little bit about what it was like growing up in that environment and stuff uh at that time period obviously a lot of teasing and razzing and stuff a bunch of other things it was fun lots of laughs you're gonna really enjoy the episode uh i think we've mentioned it already but um if you haven't joined our Discord, join our Discord. We got some new people in there recently. We got a pretty good group. We got well over 100. Well, do we have 150 people now? Yeah, it's pushing that. It's pretty Somewhere good. in that range? It's, it's, yeah, it's up that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. So there's, you know, all sorts of different threads in there about you know, we could probably uh, clean up some of the threads. I think uh, I, I think it's time for a, a little bit of a cleanup and make things a little more succinct. Yeah, probably. There's a few that are that are popping all the time, but yeah, you can find a link to that on our. It's in our link tree. If you go to our Instagram profile, you can click on that. Um, share the show with your buddies and rate it wherever you listen to it. And subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're trying. Simps, I'm, baby, I'm we're simping hard. <laughs> I don't know how to edit video, but Cuck I'm trying my best. So, yeah, 
Um, appreciate everybody listening and hope, uh, hope you have a great week. See you next time.